The following audio is from Central Christian Church, located in Portales, New Mexico. To connect with Central, go to centralwired.org.
Well, good morning. <clears throat> Thinking about something to talk about today, and I got to noticing anytime you're thumbing through the guides on your TV, how many times do you find the movies are all, not all, but there's a big section that are romance movies, chick flicks. It's all about, it's all about love, right? <clears throat> One of my friends posted from La Mesa, he posted a, a story this week and it's, I've seen it reposted like two or three times. So some of y'all may have already seen it, but if you have, bear with me, I'm going to tell it a little bit differently. It's a story about a married couple. And they had been married for 60 years. Okay. One night, as they're going up the stairs to bed, as soon as they reach the top of the stairs, she falls down. Massive heart attack. Okay, her husband's 84 years old. And he grabs her. He gets her down the stairs. He gets her into the car. And they head to the hospital as fast as they can drive. But they didn't make it in time. <clears throat> so the day of the funeral, the family's all gathered together. And the husband doesn't say much. He's very stoic, very somber. And after the service, they're all getting around talking. And, you know, they start reliving memories and going over things and the preacher's there and they talk about you know where his wife is and the benefits of being a believer and all of a sudden the husband stands up and says I want to go to the cemetery now and they said no you know dad you don't want to do that it's been a long day he said I want to go now so they load up they go to the cemetery and he goes back to the the headstone and he just kind of caresses it. And he leans over and he whispers something to the headstone. And then he stands up and he says, okay, I'm ready to go home. So they get back and the, the kids are trying to figure out they, they don't know what he said. Finally, one of the girls asked him, said, Dad, what did you say? And he said, I just told her thank you. They're like, oh, okay, you know. They, they think they've got it figured out. You know, thank you for being a great wife. Thank you for being a great mother. And he just said, no, that's not it. Well, they, it was gnawing on them, and they wanted to know why he said thank you. And finally he stops, and he says, look, yes, she was a great friend. She was a great mother. She was a great partner. He said, that's not what I told her thank you for. They said, well, what was it? He said, I told her thank you for going first. He said, I love my wife so much that I did not want her to have to endure the grief, the sorrow, the worry, the anxiety, everything that comes from burying someone you love, losing someone you love. I didn't want her to have to go through that. And I told her, thank you for letting me be the one to do that instead of her. 
you know, with our emotions, every single person in this room that did something to your emotions, I don't know, I don't know how it affected you, but it does. But that's not the perfect love story. Because nobody in this room will ever be loved more than Jesus loves us. And he went first. He went first so that we don't face that grief. We don't face any sorrow. We don't face any fear. He's taken all that with him when he passed. When he went into that tomb, all those things went with him. And when he arose out of that grave, triumphant, he left them there. We have no fear in death. We have no worry. We have no anxiety because Jesus went first. As we partake of this communion now, remember that. That's the greatest love story ever. Jesus went first. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you thankful for this opportunity to gather around as family and commemorate the greatest love story that has ever been. Father, thank you for delivering a way for us to spend eternity with you in heaven as your children and to forever experience what true love is as we live in your presence. Thank you for remembering us, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When Led Zeppelin released Physical Graffiti in 1975, no one expected a weird song on that album called Cashmere to be a hit. Uh, I honestly, when I was growing up, I thought it was cashmere like the coat, like, you know, like a cashmere sweater, C-A-S-H-M-E-R-E. No, that's not actually, it's spelled K-A-S-H-M-I-R, and it's a town and a region in northern India. The song was not written in northern India. It was written when they were in Morocco on tour. Uh, Jimmy Page, the guitarist, and John Bonham, the drummer, were working on a very offbeat rhythm. It was, it's very syncopated. The lyrics and the voice and everything goes in. There's like three different songs going all at one time. And it became, obviously not Stairway, but one of Zeppelin's biggest hits. And here are the lyrics that Robert Plant put to it. He said, Here is the path that led me to the yellow desert stream, my Shangri-La. Beneath the summer moon, I will return again. Sure as the dust floats high in June when moving through Kashmir. Now, some of you already have really bizarre looks on your face. Why is he quoting a 1975 drug song? All right. <laughs> Where is he going with this? There's a point. Stick with me on this. When he was writing, he said, that's where happy will be. That's where contentment will be. will be in Kashmir. It'll be in Shangri-La. It'll be in this happy place. For centuries, people have looked for and they have talked about utopia. True? Some place where everything is the way I like it, where everything is, everything is just fine. From Babel to Atlantis to Hollywood to Kashmir, a place that'll make you happy. 
But I submit that God has given us this place, a much better place of happy, a better place of joy. And some of you are trying to go, oh, he's going to talk about heaven. No, I'm actually not. I think that better place is his presence. A.W. Tozier said, nothing in or of this world measures up to his presence. We're in this series called the Songs for the Journey. We're studying the 15 Psalms of Ascent. This one's called the Road to Kashmir in, in, uh, in reference to that song. Uh, 120 through 134 is this one little part of the songbook that these are psalms that were written as the Israelites sang them on their way back to Jerusalem three times a year for the pilgrimage feast. Now we've looked and we've talked about starting our journey happy, that we point our eyes to Jerusalem. We've talked about where does our help come from? Our help comes from the Lord. The source of our help is not in our efforts, but in Him. And we may not all journey to Jerusalem, but I got a hunch most of us muscle through the mundane. Is that a fair statement? Most of us make it through the week. And I think these psalms specifically speak to that. Now, 122 is written by David, and four of the, the psalms of ascent are attributed to him. 127 is written by Solomon. It's the only one attributed to him. So we're going to look at Psalm 122 and 127. And as we have been doing in this series, we're going to invite you, if you're able, to stand while we read God's Word together. In the synagogues, when the readings came out, when they roll out the scrolls, everyone stood in, in reverence to the Word of God. So we're going to read these back to back so you don't have to go up and down. Uh, Psalm 122, I'm going to read from the New Living, uh, New Living Translation today. If you're joining us online or on the radio, thank you for joining Central Christian Church today. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And now here we are standing inside your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a well-built city. Its seamless walls cannot be breached. All the tribes of Israel, the Lord's people, make their pilgrimage here. They come to give thanks to the name of the Lord as the law requires. Here stand the thrones where judgment is given, the thrones of the dynasty of David. Pray for peace in Jerusalem. May all who love this city prosper. O Jerusalem, may there be peace within your walls and prosperity in your palaces. For the sake of my family and friends, I will say, may you have peace. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek what is best for you, O Jerusalem. Now jump down or scroll down to Psalm 127, a psalm of Solomon. Unless the Lord builds a house, the work of the builders is wasted. Unless the Lord protects a city, guarding it with sentries will do no good. It is useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, anxiously working for food to eat, for God gives rest to his loved ones. Children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from him. Children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hands. How joyful is the man whose quiver is full of them. He will not be put to shame when he confronts his accusers at the city gates. The word of the Lord for the people of the Lord. Have a, have a seat. Amen. We are glad that you are with us. Audience participation time. Where would you go? And don't, Not yet. I will invite you to participate in a minute. Where would you go if you could go on any dream vacation for free? If I was given out a voucher 
And you could just go anywhere you wanted. Where would you go? Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about it. I'm going to count three, two, one, go. And when I say go, I want everybody to shout out your destination at the, the same time. And if we get a winner, you get an all-expense-paid trip there. All right, you ready? All right, here. So, oh, it just got better, didn't it? Three, two, one, go. Allsips? You want to go to Allsips? Oh, that's not. Seriously, if, maybe you went to a city. Maybe you want to go to Paris or London. Maybe you went to a place like those huts that are over the water in Tahiti. That, that looks pretty okay. Uh, I, I could deal with that. Maybe you want to go to a culture. Maybe you want to go to Italy and, you know, tour the countryside and the vineyards of France or something like that. What would be your expectation of such a trip? Amazing. Thank you for audience. I believe it. As it gets close, you know, you're six months out, you're three months out, you're a month out. Is it a week out? How giddy are you? All right. You're excited because that trip is coming. David writes this Psalm 122 with the expectation of an amazing place, the presence of God. He said, I was glad. He couldn't wait to get there. What a trip. Do we we realize the presence of God is, is absolutely the trip of a lifetime? And I'm, I'm afraid sometimes we get this laissez-faire attitude about church. I love the video that Franklin started the service with, with uh, where it was like, when was the last time you worshipped? Was it here a week ago? Or was it in the, the mundane things of life? Was it through the Mondays and the Thursdays and the, the Wednesdays and, your, and the finances and the kids being sick and the traveling and the groceries and the laundry? Do we forget that His presence is a a trip of a lifetime? And he goes on. Did you see how David shifts from individual to community? He said, I was glad when they said, let us go up to the house of worship. Do you hear that? I mean, he changed it from individual to corporate. Corporate gathering is absolutely essential. If we didn't get anything out of COVID, we need to get that, all right? That we need each other, that we work better together. And friends, Scripture will never support the idea of love God, but I don't need the church. Now, there are a lot of people that will say that, and I get that. I totally get it. Some of you have been burned by the church, and I'm genuinely sorry. We don't want to be that way. We want to create a different kind of family that doesn't do that. But some have been burned by the church. And so we get this idea, well, I can love God on my own. I don't really need the church. The Bible will not support that. It has always been a we movement, not a me movement. And I want you to note something. When David says this, when he wrote this, let's go to the the city of Jerusalem. Do you realize the temple didn't exist? Who built the temple? Solomon. That's his kid. He, when he's writing this, he doesn't know. He, he, he can visualize it because he was part of the process, but he hasn't seen the temple. At that time, they only had the tabernacle, the touring version of 
the temple. And we're very excited. If you haven't seen the slides that have been coming through and in your bulletin, we are thrilled to bring the tabernacle back here to Central in April of next year. The only time it's ever been in New Mexico was when it was here in 2014, and we want to bring it back. It is a live, fully functioning, uh, to scale tabernacle. And you walk through it, and it's driven with MP3 players. And to see and to walk in the presence of God. And I love when God says in Exodus 25, he says, Build me a place, and I will come and dwell among you. That's what he says in Exodus 25, 8. I will live there. I'll live among you. You see, David and those people, they believed that the habitation of Yahweh was in that place, the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant is. They, he believed that God was there. And the only logical thing for them to do was to be there, to be in the presence of God. But notice what David says about the city in verse 3. He says it cannot be breached. This city is fortified. It is impregnable. You can't defeat this city Un until you can. The city was destroyed two different times, completely destroyed, leveled. And uh, 570, uh, excuse me, 597 with Nebuchadnezzar, and then uh, that was uh, 597 B.C. 70 A.D. It was destroyed again at the behest of Nero and uh, Titus, the leader. And in its history, Jerusalem has been besieged 23 times. It's been attacked 52 times. It's been captured and recaptured 44 times. So why would David say, oh, this place is absolutely impregnable? Why would he say that? Even today, tensions run high over the city of Jerusalem. Uh, if you see that flat concrete part right there, and you see the gold dome there, it's called the Dome of the Rock. And it looks like, hey, that's a really great place to worship. And that flat part is where the temple was. But the Dome of the Rock is actually a Muslim house of worship. The, the Temple Mount is controlled by Muslim people. When we were there, we're not allowed to carry a Bible there. We're not allowed to wear Christian T-shirts, anything that talks about Jesus or Christ. In fact, we couldn't even discuss it. Now, don't worry. We weren't in danger or anything like that. There weren't Uzis around. It was just very Muslim controlled. Tension even there today. Then why would David... Why did, he goes crazy over this place. Why? Because God lives here. He, he believed that God lives here. And this is what I need you to hear. And if you don't get anything else out of today, get this lie. You might have been attacked personally. You might, you might feel like you've been destroyed. Maybe it was the divorce. Maybe it was the, the bankruptcy. Maybe it was the losing the job or losing the relationship or or maybe it's just the day-to-day -day and you feel attacked and besieged i want you to get this and get this good if god lives in you you are fortified that wasn't very good on the amens there all right i'm gonna say it really dramatic again like that i'm gonna give you a really good opportunity because this is important if God lives in you, you are fortified. That a girl. All right. Well, that was good. That's what we ought to be. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is 
freedom. Did you hear these lyrics today? There is a Savior. There is a King. There is power beyond defeat. You may feel attacked. You may feel besieged. He saves. He saves. Rejoice, all you people. We need to get it in our mind that even when things go crazy out there, that our God saves. David even reminds the people that the law requires this pilgrimage. Did you hear that part in there? When he says in 122, the end of verse 4, they, they come to give thanks to the name of the Lord as the law requires of Israel. This isn't a pleasure cruise. This isn't a vacation. This is required. But friends, I want you to remember this. You cannot legislate morality. You cannot make law good enough to behave good. You hear me? And we're, we're heading into an election in November. And I, I don't know if you've noticed that. There's been one or two signs pop up. There's elections coming, and we want to encourage you as Americans to vote. Okay, I'm not here to talk about politics. But you need to understand Shangri-La is not going to happen when we get the people we want in office. You hear me? It's not going to be this utopian place. Oh, all we got to do is get all the people I want in my offices and then everything's going to be perfect. You know why? Because it's still a fallen world. We need to put our trust in His presence. It's when we have His perfect presence that makes a difference now david makes some odd statements in verses six through nine he says pray for the peace of jerusalem seek what is best for jerusalem franklin's song where the spirit of the lord is there is peace friends peace will be where you are in his presence now we may not all make the trek to zion we may not all make the, the trip up to the Holy Hill of Jerusalem, but he says, set our eyes to Zion. I got a hunch that even if we don't travel to the place, anybody in here climbing spiritual mountains lately? Mountains of forgiveness. Mountains of addiction. It feels like I'm buried and attacked in anxiety and depression. You hear what I'm saying? That we're climbing mountains. We've got to set our eyes to Zion and see all of the good things that He can bring. We need to pray that the peace and the presence of God is where we're headed. A guy named Kevin DeYoung and another guy named Ted Cluck wrote, they've written three or four books, one of them called Why We Love the Church. Uh, it was a really interesting book, and he they, they talk about it. We titled it this way because we didn't want you to think we were just bashing the church. But it's a lot of, of comments in there and a lot of chapters about how, ways to change and make the church more effective. But he calls it why we love the church. And in it, they coin a new phrase or a new word that I, I thought was really interesting. But they coin it off of an old word. Now, most of us in here have heard the word decapitation. Would we know what that word means? Okay, from the Latin, uh, caput uh, is your head. So a decapitation is removing the head from the body. We're into all of the Halloween movies. I'm sure you understand the concept, all right? But, but they use a different word. They coin this phrase, decorpulation. And from the Latin, the corpus is the body. 
Some of you are ahead of me on the, on the metaphor. And decorpulation is removing the body from the head. The head of the church is Jesus. And he goes on to say this in this article. There is a growing movement among the evangelicals to have spirituality without a connection to a religious body. A spiritual relationship without any rules or accountability, even to have God without church. Decorpulation, removing the body from the head of Christ. Friends, these people that are singing these 15 songs, they are God followers, and they're going to Jerusalem because in their mind that's where God is. And where God is, we will find peace. We will find shalom. Shalom alechayim is peace upon your home. That is a, a Hebrew blessing. Peace upon your home. You'll find that when you go where the presence of God is. David will never agree with the idea, I love God, but I don't need the church. We have got to be the people that show our community we long to be with each other. We can't wait to get together. We played, there was about 70 of us at Jerry and Carla Parton's last night, playing and laughing and kids running around. It was a gorgeous night. It was a lot of fun. It's so thrilling to see you here this morning. Everything from Bacon Brothers to our college group, from ladies' class to any of the events, we, we do that not to guilt anybody, but to invite people to be together, to connect. We should long to be together with believers. Now, Jump with me quickly down to Psalm 127. It looks like it's in two sections. The first two verses are about building, and verse 3, 4, 5 are about children. We're actually only going to spend some time in verse 1 and 2. And it looks like you've got a building and you've got kids, and they don't go together. But really, I believe they do. I would like to submit to you and propose a different interpretation I believe this verse, this psalm is talking about the daily grind, the mundane, the getting through. Let me ask you a question. You ever get overwhelmed by your life? Anybody? <laughs> Anybody ever sit in your room going, am I getting anywhere? You're sitting in the pickup going, are we accomplishing anything? Anybody ever got there? I believe that this psalm, 127, really speaks to that. He starts with, unless the Lord builds the house. Now, the most obvious point right here would be, uh, the wise man built his house upon the rock, you know, and, you know, I, I could go there. That's preaching 101, all right? That's pretty basic. I, I want us to go a little bit deeper. Now, this picture up here is the home of Brian and Sarah Cox. I broke in. Their locks are terrible right now. I mean, it's, it's horrid, yeah? This is uh, their new house that they are building out on somewhere out that way. And it's big and it's beautiful and uh, they are working on it. And I want to celebrate with them, not to celebrate them, but what God is doing. And what you may need to know that a lot, a lot of you have built houses and that's fantastic. And, and we're thrilled with that. Theirs has been, I would say, at least five years in the planning, if not longer. And the time we have known this couple and, and, Watch kids and watch kids grow up. They have been talking about this. It started several years ago. They got involved with Franklin Marie and uh, Financial Peace University. And, and it changed how they lived. They, they made massive life changes. And we want to build a, a life together. We want to build a place where peace and hope will abound, where shalom alechayim can happen. But it didn't happen fast. 
It didn't happen, and, and it seemed like every time they started something, they hit roadblocks. There, there were financial challenges. There was uh, all kinds of supply challenges. And then COVID hit, and that was just a calm, peaceful, uh, uh, you know. You couldn't get anything, and now we're back into more supply chain challenges. Couldn't get framers, couldn't get the right. He's in the building profession and couldn't get all of the, the things to work together. And then it was frustrating, and and. And that's why we're celebrating with you guys. This, this land has been prayed over. They're writing verses on the walls. And, the, and kids have a place in space. Even the chickens have a place there. It's awesome. I really can't wait till it's all opened up and, and beautiful. But if you were to just read that part, unless the Lord builds the house, would it be easy to give up when challenges hit? Well, I guess God's not building this house. I guess we're against His will. It's not working. It would be easy to quit when things start to get rough. It says the labor is wasted. Time on a project that is yours and not His is in vain. Is there anything more discouraging than working on something in vain? Anyone? Hallelujah. Amen. Oh, yeah. Uh, That you've worked and you've worked and it just didn't work out. Well, that didn't work. Or all that work and nothing to show for it. That just debilitates you. I want to remind you of two cities in Scripture. You probably recognize both of these names. One of them is a place called Babel. Anybody remember Babel? They were famous for one particular building there. And here's what happens in Genesis 11. They all get together, and I'm quoting here. It says, let us build something that will make us famous and keep us from being scattered. I think the irony of that line is hilarious. Because if you read the story and you understand the story of the Tower of Babel, the exact thing that happens is scattered. <laughs> the one thing they were trying to avoid, it absolutely Happened, but they were a hard-working people. They got together. There's there's community. They had a vision, and they got to work on it. These were hard-working people, but they were working at me. You hear me? They were working on self. They weren't doing anything that had God's vision. They did not set their eyes to Zion. They set their eyes to themselves. There's another town called Thessalonica that's in the New Testament. Paul wrote letters there. If you've been in our college group or, or Wednesdays in the Word, we've been looking at First and Second Thessalonians. Now, that town is, an, uh, is kind of the opposite end of the spectrum. They are called, and I'm not even making this up, Second Thessalonians 3, says they're lazy busybodies. They even use that word busybodies in there. They were, I had this idea that God's coming back, so there's no sense in us really trying anything. We're just going to sit here and you guys take care of us. And he, he said, no, if you're not going to work, you don't eat. They didn't want to work. They wanted others to carry the load. In one town in Babel, you've got hard workers, but they're all about self. And the other one, you've got, you got no workers, but they're all about you take care of me. Both of those cities ended up completely wasting their time. I don't want us to be in that situation, and I don't think they are. It's easy to give up when it feels like I'm not accomplishing anything. I'd like to introduce you to a guy named Amar Bahatri, Bahati, something, I'm pronouncing his name wrong. He's from Bengaluru, India. 
Uh, this is Amar right here. That's him. Uh, he was a loan officer at a bank. And one day he had uh, an epiphany at work. He wasn't a really particularly religious man at all. But one day he was at work at the bank and he felt the the gods of that area are Hindu gods. And this god Shiva felt like this god Shiva was talking to you, to him. And, and in honor of Shiva, he decided to raise his hand. That was in 1973. And he hasn't put it down since. He quit his job to raise his hand. That's it. That's what he does for a living. And do you understand the jokes that are going in my head when I'm reading this story? I mean, what kind of a nightmare would this guy be for the teachers? Uh, you know, you're writing on the board and you turn around. And, uh, anybody but Amar. Uh, here's one. Amar would be, he would be a fan of Tennessee because he'd be the first to volunteer all right come on give it up ladies and gentlemen don't worry he has another show at eight he'll be back uh, come on i had to throw something in there about alabama all right but here's the kicker on this whole story the reason i'm sharing this that arm is so atrophied now they they said if he if he moved it if he put it down it'd probably snap in half there's no muscle there's no anything it is all stuck there now, on one hand, there's part of me that wants to admire him for doing something for 50 years, okay? But that's a really small amount of me. The all vast rest of me wants to go, what? You've got to be kidding me. You spent almost 50 years doing that? Talk about a waste of time. But I wonder how many of us, some of our work is in vain. Now, we laugh at that, but some of us have spent years and years and years doing something all for me. Anybody? Spending all of our life and all of our vision about what I want to do. Friends, God didn't put us here to just sit and watch. He didn't put us here to, to be an outsider. He told us to, He put us here to get in the game, to do what He put us to do. That we were, he was designed long before we were designed. He put good works inside of us for His glory, not for ours. I said this is really about talking about the mundane parts of life. Now you may be, as I said, overwhelmed. Maybe you're feeling attacked. Maybe you're just, you just barely could make it in here today. Maybe you're watching online and you just are worn out from everything that is happening in your world. Can I just speak to you and say, Will you believe in the promise that He is with you? He has not given up on you. And working for Him is not in vain. And here's why. Look on back down to 127 and the end of verse 2. No, specifically verse 2. It says, It is useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, anxiously working for food to eat. He says, It's a waste of time. Until that last line. Look at the last line of verse 2. For God gives rest to His loved ones. Ah. Now who in here couldn't use a little more rest? A little rest from the, the work week. A little rest from all the overwhelming. A rest from the anxiety and the addiction and the depression and the overwhelming pressure. We are anxiously working, trying to fix things. And He is saying, you'll be at rest in My presence. 
That's where rest is. Set your face to Zion and see. So you can build your life on His promises, not on yours. You see, the songs for the journey remind us that His presence is better than cashmere. It's better than utopia. It is the best trip ever. Would you join me in prayer? Holy Spirit, You are welcome here. Your presence is invited here. God, You are... There is a Savior. Jesus saves. Thank You. So, Father, we want to build our life on You, on Your presence, on Your Word, on Your promises that You have not given up, nor will You give up. For hearts that are hurting in this room, I'm just praying Your comfort. For lives that are feeling attacked and overwhelmed, I pray that Your presence speaks. Your presence lifts. May we set our eyes to Zion. May we build our life on Your promises. Through Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Central Christian Church in Portales, New Mexico. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To connect with us, visit our website at centralwired.org.